The text for the sermon this day is based on the gospel lesson, which you heard earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Behold the man. The man, Jesus, who just before this had washed his disciples' feet. He told them to love one another as I have loved you. He told them that this is how they will know you, by, my, by your love for one another. Jesus was weary. He had, learned, he had said that his, one of them would betray him. He told them that the one that, was, that dipped in this bowl with him would be the one to betray him. He knew that within that day, he would eventually be betrayed, he would be arrested, and he would carry the sins of the world. And so he did what anyone should do when they are weary, when they are burdened. He went to God in prayer. His disciples, they heard the very, that message that Judas was that, well, they didn't know it was Judas, but they heard that one of them, one of their friends, were going to betray Jesus. Jesus, for so long, had been speaking unclearly, but at this time, he began to speak clearly. And so they were beginning to wonder, what is going on? Before the night was out, they would see who the betrayer is. They would see G Judas led by a battalion of, leading a battalion of soldiers to arrest Jesus. Peter, the one who was bold, the one who said of Jesus, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He would deny that he even knew who Jesus was three times. They would witness as Jesus would be mocked, spat upon, struck across the face. They would witness all the torture and the suffering he would endure. John, who would follow closely, would be there for the trial. He would be there to witness the, the results of the flogging. He would be there when Jesus would be unable to carry that cross. He would be there when he saw the nails driven into his hands and into his feet. They would, they would be there to see that the body was laid into the tomb. Imagine the thought that they must have had that day, that, especially that Holy Saturday, what we now call Holy Saturday. Jesus, they thought to be the Christ, the Messiah. He was the one to free them from tyranny, in their mind, tyranny of the Romans. But either way, they thought that he was the one. But how could he be the one if he's dead? And so that Sunday morning, they get the news that the body is missing. And they run to find out where, what's going on to see if what the women said was true. They get there. The body is missing. But because even though Jesus told them multiple times what was going to happen, either they didn't listen or they didn't believe, or a little bit of both. 
And so they thought the body was stolen. Somebody took it. I mean, imagine what that would be like. How much that would, how stressful that would be if you found out that someone you loved, their body was not in the grave where it was supposed to be. You'd be stressed beyond belief. And so later that night, Jesus shows up in the middle of the room, and hopefully nobody had a heart condition, because otherwise I guarantee it would have been trouble. But Jesus just shows up, and they see him, and they think, oh, he is risen. But then Thomas comes. He says, unless I, touch the, unless I touch the wounds in his hands and the marks in his side, I will never believe. Which you can imagine the other disciples sitting there thinking, did any of us actually touch him? Maybe he was just a ghost. Maybe he was an apparition of some sort. And so the doubt arised. Jesus did appear a week later. And then for the total of 40 days after his resurrection, it arrived at the mount of, on a mountain. And they would ask, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel now? Because they are still thinking Jesus came to overthrow the Romans. They still don't get it, even after everything they've seen. And then Jesus ascended before them, and they stood there flabbergasted, just staring into the sky, not knowing what's going on, even though Jesus just told them what's going on, they don't know. And then ten days later, they would be there in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit would descend upon them like a dove and the tongues of fire. And there Peter would preach a thumping good sermon that would lead to the conversion of 3,000 people. And then the church would spread. But along with it came the pains of persecution. They would be beaten, they'd be thrown in prison, and starting with St. Stephen, they'd eventually they'd start being put to death. This is the journey before them. When the, behold the man, Jesus prays for his disciples. Prays that they would be strong in the midst of their tribulation. You notice that? Think about this. Jesus is the one who is stressed. The one who is about to carry the sins of the world to the cross. And who does he pray for? His disciples. Not himself. Now we know in the other Gospels, he does pray for himself. He does pray that the cup would pass from him. But here, in what is known as the high priestly prayer, he prays for his disciples. It's called the high priestly prayer because the, work, the pr job of a priest was that they were intercessors. They were mediators. Because the reality is, ever since the fall into sin, we are not worthy to come before God. We need a mediator. In the old covenant, it was the priest. In the new covenant which we live, it is Christ Jesus, the final and perfect mediator, the high priest. And so he, brought, he prayed for the disciples. But it's interesting in that text, he also prays for those who would believe on account of the disciples. Do you know who that is? You. 
you believe, now not directly, not, I'm guessing none of you have met the disciples. I know some of us are older, but probably not that old. So, but w- through the sequence of all the Christians throughout the history, we believe on account of the disciples. Through the message that they proclaimed. And so we are those who, be- who Jesus is praying for. So, and what does that mean that we believe in him? That means that we are saved, that we are his children, that we are blessed, we are redeemed by God. That Jesus, who is the priest, and one of the other jobs of the priest was there to offer a sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice for us. He is the one who went, would go to the cross and sacrifice himself for us, for you. We who could not come before the throne of God, we who are not worthy to come, to even be in his presence. Jesus sacrificed himself, shed his blood, made full atonement for us that we may be welcomed into the presence of God. But he prays for us. Because the thing is, is to be a believer, to be a Christian, if any of you ever heard Gary T. speak, and I've probably mentioned this enough to- few times, and eventually, hopefully you'll know it by now, but Gary T. always likes to say that we are to be what? Not normal. All right, we got, okay, not normal. That comes from, first, it comes from the first Peter, where it says that we are saints. The word saint, or we are holy, To be holy means to be set apart, and to put into very layman's term means to be not normal. In Jesus' prayer, he is praying that very reality, that we we are in the world. But by consequence of being a Christian, by being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, by being made holy, by being set apart, we are not of the world. We are not normal. What does that mean to be not of the world? That means on Wednesday night, you are not at home catching up on the most popular, whatever shows popular on this night. Fortunately, nowadays we have Hulu and you could catch it later or whatever. But it means that tonight you are hearing God's word. You're singing, of his, you're singing his word through hymns. This is not normal. It means that when you come to a service, there's things that we do that are not normal. We, I don't know if you, you just heard Pastor Salcedo chanting a little bit. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe Pastor Salcedo has weird habits. But I'm guessing when you go to McDonald's or Hardee's, you don't chant your order. Okay, just check it. So, chanting is actually, that's one of the two purposes of chanting. One is it's really good for memorization, but the other reason is because it sets the service apart as being not normal. We don't chant in our daily lives. When we chant, it is elevating what we are doing, setting apart from the world. So you come on a Wednesday night, and by the way, he chants, and you know what you do? You chant back. It's a, it's a conversation through chanting. 
That's not normal. That is being in the world, but not of it. When we go about our, when we go into our lives, that also means that we are loving. We are loving to all. That is to be in the world and not of the world. But to be in the world and not of the world, and to love your neighbor means sometimes you say in things that are unpopular. To love means to, to stand with truth. Because in that prayer, Jesus also prays that we would all be one. Unity is not just agreeing to disagree. That is not unity. In other words, where people say, oh, we don't believe the same, but that's okay. We'll just get along. That is not unity. There's many that will actually try to do that with the Lord's Supper. And they say, okay, some people believe that this, when you come up to the Lord's Supper, that that is just bread and wine. Some will say that the bread and wine transforms into the body and blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus is sacrificed every time you come to the Lord's Supper. We as Lutherans believe that the bread is, is in with, the body of Jesus is in with and under the bread. The blood of Jesus is in with and under the wine and we receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, there are churches that say, well, we could come commune together. It doesn't matter what we believe. That is not the oneness that Jesus is talking about. Oneness means one of mind. That youth believe the same. To not to receive the Lord's Supper and believe differently is an actually an affront to the Lord's Supper because that's why it's called communion. Common union, not com diversity. I don't know if that, I just made up a word. There you go. It's not that. We, are, we come as one in mind and spirit. Love means standing for the truth. Standing for the idea that there is a such thing as truth. And if you don't realize in this world, that is definitely unpopular. If you were to be of the world, you would say that there, every truth is what you think it is, how you feel. If whatever floats your boat, whatever you feel in your heart, that is truth. Truth is determined by your culture or your community. But there's no real truth. That is what the world says. But to be in the world but not of the world is to say that there is a definitive truth and it doesn't matter what I think or feel, truth is truth whether I believe it or not. Truth has no dependence upon me. Our faith, our faith does not validate truth. Truth validates our faith. That is to be in the world but not of the world. That is to be not normal. As we live in this world, it also means when you, walk, you engage with pop culture. So at our, for, our youth, for our youth, sometimes we have what is called movie nights. And whenever we do a movie night, I prepare what I call a viewing guide. Now, I don't know how often they read it, but I try to kind of do a summary at the end of the night to give a little bit of it. But the whole idea is we watch a movie. 
Now, to be in the world, actually, believe it or not, notice Jesus says you are to be in the world. He doesn't pray that we leave the world. And I know there are many, pe- many Christians that have tried to play that game. They say, ah, I'm going to ex- withdraw from everything that is, quote, worldly. That is not what Jesus tells to do. He says to be, you are going to be in the world, but you're not going to be of it. To be in the, if we decide to not engage with things that are not, quote, Christian, then we can't engage with unbelievers. And we cannot be a witness to the gospel if we do not talk with people who are of the world. So, as we are in the world, we may watch a movie. So let's take, for example, something like, let's just, okay, if you don't know, I like superheroes. So take a movie like The Dark Knight. As a popular Batman movie. Being in the world means you may watch it. But of the world means you recognize things that are happen in it that are in conflict with our commandments. But you also recognize unintentional Christian truths. So for example, if you ever watch it, you realize unintentionally the Joker is the devil unintentionally, now I know you've got to go watch the movie, I'm not going to dwell on this too much, but go watch, you'll find it one day. But unintentionally, Two-Face happens to be you. And unintentionally, Batman is Jesus, who takes the guilt of Two-Face so that way for him, just as Christ took on our guilt. See, that is what being in the world of the world does. Being in the world but not of the world means that when you engage pop culture, when you engage the world, you are discerning. You recognize what's not good and you also recognize where some ha- the fingerprints of God is in there. And why is it there? Because what Romans says that it's written on every man's heart, the knowledge of God, and actually C.S. Lewis kind of talks about this a little bit, This, to be in the world and not of the world, is a tension. It's difficult. We wrestle. And so that is why Jesus prays for you. To stand for truth. To be one in mind and spirit is difficult. To be in the world but not of the world is difficult. And so God, so the man, behold the man Jesus, praying for you. That you may have strength. That you may be able to stand in the world, but not be of the world. That you may not look like the world. And that is what we struggle with so much. Is we try to look like the world sound like the world. And so he prays for us. And it's also why in our, in our confirmation class a little bit ago, they, me- they memorized a verse in the chapter before which teaches how to pray. Whose name do we always pray in? In Jesus' name. Why? Because he is our high priest. He is the ma- mediator. And so as we struggle in this world, he invites us again and again to come to him. 
For when we fail, we come to him and confess our sins. And he forgives us as the mediator, as the sacrifice, as the atonement for our sin. We come to him in prayer that we would be strengthened to live not normal lives, to live for truth, to love one another as he has commanded us to love. We pray to him that he gives us strength and he goes to the Father with our prayers as our intercessor, as our mediator, as our high priest and brings them before our Father. And our Father hears, He answers. And yes, He does strengthen you. Do you know how He strengthens you? He reminds you of your baptism. Reminds you that you are a child of God. He gives you His scripture and His word to read. That you may read of the man. Read of the God who prays for you. He gives you His sacrament by which he strengthens and enables you to serve him constantly, to constantly love one another. He answers your prayer through his means of grace. Behold the man in his word, in the sacrament. Behold the man who hears your prayers and brings them before the Father and strengthens you in this world to be not a normal, to be set apart, in Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.